a Highline podcast. Hello. Welcome to the Whiskey Bench. I'm Stephen Torna. I'm Kat Dwyer. And we're here. We are here. <laughs> it's another lovely Thursday evening, as it tends to just end up being. We just got done eating a lovely meal with some lovely people. Always a good way to, to prep yourself for an evening is, is a little bit of some communion with friends. So we're here. Ready to kind of just dive in, I think. Yeah, totally. So. We're talking about progressivism tonight. That's true. That's true. Do we have any, any updates? I don't, I don't think, I don't have any bookkeeping this week. Nothing new to report, really. <laughs> oh. oh, that's all right. <laughs> I'm sure we'll, we'll diverge at some point. So yeah, tonight we're continuing our little mini series on ideology, political ideology, Last week, we talked about communism. All right, back up here. For the listener, two yeah, weeks two ago. Two weeks ago, <laughs> we talked about communism. Two episodes ago. Yes, yeah, two episodes right. ago, we talked about communism, and we are continuing this evening with progressivism, mm-hmm. progressive ideology, to be more broad. We have a cocktail this evening, not as fitting Right. As it was for the communist episode. Right, right. This uh, cocktail tonight is uh, the only word. Which maybe is in some yeah, way which, fitting, which, which is why I picked it, you right? You know, kind things. of the like, <laughs> this is the only way. But, yeah, um, right. you know, that's a stretch. Right. <laughs> but it is very similar to, I think, a couple drinks that we've featured. The last word is its original form, and it's been uh, changed and manipulated in many, many ways. So this is the only word. We've got three quarters an ounce of tequila, three quarters an ounce of chartreuse, three quarters an ounce of maraschino liqueur, three quarters an ounce of lime, and a quarter ounce of mezcal. And that's where this recipe varies, is it adds the mezcal, so you get a little bit of smoky, but nothing too crazy. You know, there's another variation that's only mezcal, which is really smoky. Anyway, you throw it all in a shaker, give it a good jingling, strain it into a coop, and garnish with a lemon or a lime or a cherry, whatever you have laying around. Okay, I have an update now. Yeah. Tasting this cocktail. Yeah. I can taste the mezcal. Okay. And Oh, oh, right, COVID taste. Yeah, previously, because of COVID, mezcal tasted kind of wonky. Remember? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is all coming to me right now. So I am thrilled that that tastes like mezcal and not like some weird putrid thing. Oh, good. <laughs> That's great. I forget about these things and I, I make know, drinks. I know, I forget about then, it too. I know. And then no, I give great. you a drink and you're like, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I'm not going to let my disability impact our cocktails. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> no, it's delicious. So, yeah, the only word, give it a, give it a try. It's it's real tasty. I get it. Mezcal's a weird ingredient. It's not inexpensive. So, like, 
Right. If you don't like peaty things, like if you've ever had scotch and you do not like like the smoky burnt flavor, <laughs> then you will not like mezcal. <laughs> like, please don't go spend money on a bottle of mezcal. Right. But if you do like that, like mezcal is incredible. Yeah. And you can do a lot of really fun things with it. I'm going to go out on a limb and say I prefer mezcal to scotch. And maybe they're not comparable. Yeah, they're very. Yeah, it's different. Different, different worlds. Yeah. But in terms of a smoky flavor. I like the mezcal variation. I just love tequila. Yeah. And so mezcal is just smoked tequila. How do they make mezcal? So mezcal, they take the agave leaves and they dig a pit, a dirt pit, Hmm. and they burn a fire and they throw all the leaves on top of the charcoal. They then fill the hole with dirt and then it smolders for some amount of time. I don't, I don't know what the actual amount of time is but like say a week mm. and they actually dig up the agave and then they use that to make oh mezcal fantastic and it has to come from mezcal there's a lot of uh labor and effort that goes oh into that. yes that's why it's uh, expensive yeah and if you've ever seen harvesters like the farmers that actually harvest the the agave it's incredible like they're they have like machetes and they're chopping the leaves off Mm-hmm. They just like it's like second nature. They're like chop, 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 and every chop is perfect. And they cut through it in one swing. Like, dang, these people know what's up. There's a page on Instagram, Sam Uchilis, I think is the name, and uh, he travels around the world. He spent ends up spending a lot of time in Mexico, and his like style of photography has become quite popular on that platform. He kind of does these like you know still video shots of just like a setting you know so he'll just like hold his phone camera still and like capture like a moment on a busy street or on a beach or something but he does he'll do like kind of different themes for different posts and he'll do some where he's in Mexico and he's just showing people at a market prepare food mm-hmm. and it's what you're describing where it's just like second nature people chopping things in this really ornate, incredible way. And they're doing it just like it's, you know, they're scratching their ass or something like it's just like <laughs> right, the right. most like smooth, just natural thing. And um, yeah, it's kind of, the, it's really quite beautiful when you watch people who are so good at their craft, like do what they do. It yeah. seems effortless. It's amazing. I shouldn't compare it to scratching your ass. Yeah. I don't know why that came to my mind. <laughs> what is wrong nature, with me? Right? Yeah. Bizarre. I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> where that came from uh, <laughs> what's the transition is there a transition honestly i don't think we uh, i don't have any clever <laughs> you know usually our intros like would go on for like 20 I minutes know. and i can you know something will pop up that we can right we can henning was good about leading us there yeah yeah totally he was <laughs> that's, that's fine we're just gonna we're just gonna do it it's i guess fine we're just diving in <laughs> so with progressivism, yes, you know, there's not. First of all, there's no reason necessarily the order that we're going in. No, um, not really. We tried to at first, kind of be like, oh, how can we organize them and everything like that. Um, and then that kind of. Well, a lot of these different ideologies sort of emerge at the same time, right? Right. So we couldn't necessarily go in chronological order, and I don't think we wanted to put like a value necessarily and like rank them that way um and i feel like understanding i don't know i feel like communism to me i felt like doing that first 
was helpful because it's something that has been talked about a lot. And I felt like maybe we kind of ground the conversation with something that's known and then we kind of evolve towards things that are lesser known. It kind of seems to be mm-hmm. what we're doing. Right. I guess that's true. So <laughs> th- this is just the, the order we picked. We're on to progressivism. Let's kind of figure out how we want to digest this this evening. I know there's a lot of layers to progressivism. You have the original kind of founding ideology and then you have skipping, you know, to current era the progressivism that you would see like in the uh, political sense. And I would say that in the original founding, progressivism was not so much what you would think of as like a political sect of like the Democrats, like the progressive Democrat. It was it was it was more of like a worldview or an ideology that spanned the political spectrum. Yes. You could be a progressive Republican or a progressive Democrat or a Mm -hmm. progressive communist. Um, And now that has seem to have shifted where you have progressives just generally associated with one particular if someone says progressives i attribute a lot of things to that like sure and it's political but a lot of the original founding is not what i would tie to current progressivism so i think we have to kind of define the differences and maybe maybe we maybe we can lay out some sort of rough timeline of how that shifted but obviously let's start at the beginning yeah the foundations of progressivism yeah so i think um maybe we can kind of go into like the founding philosophy and basic principles and maybe talk about the progressive era a bit and Mm -hmm. then we can kind of the conversation can evolve along with the thinking of progressivism you know when looking at this there are a lot of similarities to communism not necessarily in terms of beliefs but some overlap but just in the things that inspired it and i would argue that progressivism similar to communism in europe but in america was sort of a reaction to the rapid changes brought about by the industrial revolution and the mm-hmm. modernization of the 20th century that rapid change brought a disparity in in wealth and obviously you know sort of industrial cities were full of opportunity but also full of you know poverty and pollution and danger and it was a radical shift from the sort of uh, agrarian lifestyle that people previously were accustomed to and so i think progressivism was a way of responding to that and trying to answer the the problems posed by that by those changes Mm -hmm. and it was sort of rooted in the enlightenment and kind of rooted in this belief that human progress can be made through the use of science technology economic development and social organization so like society can be constructed in in an optimal way and it just requires the right knowledge and technology to do that but right. there is an optimal yes you know state and it can be achieved through control yes and at its founding as you had just you just laid out as far as with industrial revolution and everything that was going on the early adopters or i guess the they're not really founders but yeah the ideological founders of of progressivism thought that social or economic inequalities was one of the biggest things in the way of progress. Mm -hmm. And so they saw that, as we mentioned in the communist episode, the disparities among workers and things like that, that really they viewed as being the number one issue with progress. 
Like if that could be addressed, then progress would be made through what you just mentioned, science and economic growth and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as we'll see in a little bit, as far as inequalities, you know, there were some interesting uh, approaches to how to deal with that. Right. Um, right. right, right. We'll get into that. That's where it diverges <laughs> from the modern yeah, right. take. Some of sort of the basic principles that I think would be useful to lay out. Progressives believed that sort of urban industrial society was more optimal than rural society. I think they understandably saw that as the future. And so they invested a lot in uh, developing urban communities versus rural communities. There's a belief in sort of mankind's ability to improve the in the environment and conditions of life. Like there was a the, philosophically, there was just this belief that like humans have control over their destiny. And if they're given the right tools, they can mm-hmm. sort of make anything happen. Which is founded in, in, the, in the humanist movement, mm. like even earlier than the progressivism, the, the humanist idea that like, you know, Humans have kind of like an individual power or like you just said, a will to change the world Mm -hmm. and that can be fostered. Like that's kind of the humanist perspective. Yeah. Really. I mean, that's a good rudimental. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Humanism is a huge part of progressivism, I think. Yeah, that makes sense. There was sort of a belief in in it being the obligation of people with means and knowledge and skill to intervene in economic and social affairs so therefore there was a there was a belief in like the ability of experts and the efficiency of government to intervene in people's personal lives another sort of basic principle was that scientific discovery and technological advancements can usher in a more just healthier and better society so again once you have the right tools sort of anything's possible um, they valued the association or sort of an organized group over the individual, which I think is really key. And that's where there's a parallel with communism, which was a, which was big sort of emerging and and kind of um, obviously fine, <laughs> becoming popular in in vogue mm-hmm. and the other sort of across the pond at the same time. And and I think that's a common theme that we're going to see throughout this series is that it's these ideologies sort of devolve to the greater good versus the individual right um and so progressivism would have weighted the greater good over the individual and i think critically the other basic principle is sort of the idea that science with a capital s can make society better and people should trust fully in that yes and here's another important thing Mm -hmm. when you talk about progressivism sure yeah because of its roots in humanism things like that it is very non-theistic yeah Mm -hmm. much like communism right some of these other things there's not really room for religion because humans are enlightened they have tools right there is you know this terminology wasn't prevalent or known at the time but sort of you need a technocrat to Mm -hmm. you know sort of knows best and can make rules and can regulate society in such a way that's optimal um Right. Very, so yeah, for sure. Very mathematical, or like a strictly mathematical approach, or a strictly you know rational approach. Mm-hmm. For sure. And, yeah. And again, like we mentioned before, like that's why you see the bad things that happen because when you again, this is simplistic boiled down, but when you're talking about the greater good, and you are doing it in a mathematical approach, it's just a numbers game. Right. 
the moral judgment yeah, moral, shifts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So so in terms of how it emerged in the US, um it sort of began as an intellectual rebellion against sort of the traditional political philosophy of the United States, which which was uh constitutionalism, uh sort of John Locke's my faves mm -hmm. teachings of sort of a limited government that's decentralized. Um, and progressivism was, again, sort of a rebellion against that. And what they wanted was to harness the power of government and science to mold society um, into their ideal. So they sort of saw unregulated markets and a limited government as a weakness and thought there was an opportunity to use science and expertise to improve those systems and therefore like improve society. So as we mentioned earlier, it kind of initially spanned the political spectrum. Um, some examples of prominent early progressives across the political aisle, one would be Teddy Roosevelt, right? Who was a Republican, but a progressive Republican. He was president between 1901 and 1909. Um, and then uh, Woodrow Wilson, who was a prominent uh, Democrat progressive. Um, and he was president from 1913 to 1921. So again, progressivism kind of spanned that political spectrum. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt tried to set up his own progressive party in 1912 when he did not win the Republican presidential nomination. That's the Bull and Moose Party, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, yep. And that fell apart pretty quickly. <laughs> um, and I think after... I think that's the point at which progressivism kind of settled into the Democrat Party and kind of remained there. But yeah, early on, it kind of spanned. And and Teddy Roosevelt's vision of it, so kind of, I guess, the Republican vision of it was a new nationalism with the government playing a more active role in the economy with like supervision over corporations, higher taxes, um, unemployment and old age ins insurance. Teddy Roosevelt supported like voting rights for women was silent on voting rights for African-Americans mm -hmm. as unfortunately many were at the time. Yeah. And then, as I said, he lost his, the GOP bid for president and right. the party fell apart. And yeah. I guess in, he kind of faded away. Um, and then after Roosevelt, Woodrow Wilson was a progressive as well, right? Yeah. Right. Not immediately no. after, but yeah. Well, yeah. Ta but yeah. Mm -hmm. In the order of presidents. Right. After. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, and that was more, I guess. He's a Democrat. He's a Democrat. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Woodrow Wilson, the Democrat, which is interesting. So, yeah, you see, you see things like women's voting rights, and then I don't know enough about it, but it would be interesting because another main tenet of the progressive ideology in the early ages was kind of like the idea that like education will fix everything, which is a position that I've held in the past, which now I actually very much don't hold. But like it always was like, oh yeah, all the pro all our problems is just education. Like if people were just better educated, like it would be fine. And I think like that was one of the early things about progressivism was like all of the issues, racism, violence, greed, you know, all of these things. Like it wasn't anything other than like an education problem. At least how how I've perceived it. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't think early progressives were concerned about racism. Um, uh, no, especially if you're talking about like late, you know, mid 1800s, maybe no, like up until the civil rights. Well, movement. right, right. But if you're talking about English foundations, they had a, a jump start on. Yeah. Across. Yeah, yeah sure. Across and the pond. Not, not in the U S yeah. yeah. But um, if you're talking about 
like Woodrow Wilson and Woodrow was and, yeah, yeah kind of a nightmare yeah. um <laughs> what's that horrible film the birth of a nation he like showed in the White House that's like basically like clans propaganda he did a showing of it really? when he was the president in oh, the White House yeah it's like anyway it's been interesting because after the summer of 2020 and the George Floyd protests and subsequent riots and like activism the democrat party has had to reconcile with some of the characters of the past of their mm-hmm. party's past that they've upheld and sort of the ugly history was finally like forced into the light over this last summer and like woodrow wilson is one of those characters where everyone had to because he was a darling of the progressive era because he ushered in all kinds of reforms that people in the Democrat Party appreciated and valued. Um, but there was also like a very, very ugly racist side mm-hmm. to him. And so I, I forget what school it was, but there were a couple schools that had like changed the name of buildings and things like that because they were named after him. Margaret Sanger is another one that we'll get yes. to that was upheld despite conservatives for years pointing out like the roots of her racist thinking and finally over the last year that's been addressed um but anyways we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves um (laughs) but so some of kind of the highlights of the progressive era which like officially ran from 1896 to 1916 but the reality is progressivism remained sort of at the forefront of american politics and culture for like many decades beyond that brief period some of the highlights i'll just kind of run down a list uh sort of the revitalization of journalism with um quote-unquote muckrackers um who sort of like took to task corrupt politicians businesses etc um after the era of what was known as yellow journalism because i think a lot of people like especially today complain about how biased journalism is which i think is a fair critique but they like talk about how you know like didn't used to be that way and that is not really accurate because especially in like american history like journalism sort of in some ways started out or at least there was a substantial period of time where like it was totally like bought and paid for by politicians or corporations and was right. It really was like a propaganda tool. Completely. Exclusively. Yeah, like yeah. exclusively. Yeah. Right. I mean, we really only had like not even a full century of like quote unquote objective journalism. So it's kind of reverting back to the norm is what it's right. doing right and now. It, and, and that ties back into kind of the, the saying that like the victors write history. Yeah. Which yeah. is very similar to the press in that it's like, there wasn't really actually I would be very interested in learning more of the roots of that, but like it wasn't something that was necessarily valued. Like the reporting of the truth or That would be a whole interesting conversation. I don't even know the history of the news. Like when did people become Like when did newspapers start circulating? Yeah. yeah, I don't know exactly when newspapers started circulating, but I know that like there was definitely a substantial period of time where like we said, a lot of it was like bought and paid for, but a lot of it, because that was like the only way people were getting information, you know, there wasn't a market, there wasn't as diverse of a marketplace of ideas where sort of these things could be checked and not by like Facebook fact checkers, but like just like through competition of other sources. Um, So like a lot of papers survived by just writing these really sensationalized stories mm-hmm. about things that like never happened right like there were all sorts of sort of ongoing i don't know sort of episodes that would be published in papers that were about things that literally never happened it was fiction you know 
but it sold papers. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of that. So I guess the, so. one of the highlights of the progressive era is that there was kind of a turn and a shift toward more objective, like hard news reporting versus kind of this sensationalized approach. Obviously, there was the suffrage movement, women, you know, sort of granting women the right to vote. Prohibition, which I think was a big mistake. All, yep. All <laughs> progressive. That was a part of it, though. Yep. Um Progressive women were supporters of prohibition. There was sort of the formation and support of labor unions. There was a strong anti-immigration push from the progressives um, for sort of two broad reasons. One being that uh, labor unions were opposed to cheap labor. I had a professor at San Jose State University in the econ department who said that the labor union's greatest enemy is a non-unionized worker, <laughs> you know, so so that was part of the reason for opposing immigrants is that they would they weren't unionized and they were willing to work for lower wages and they therefore undercut the higher wages demanded by unionized workers. Mm-hmm. And then the other sort of reason behind the progressives being sort of opposed to immigrants was that those immigrants tended to be from the groups that the groups of people that progressives deemed to be unfit. Correct. And so this is sort of where this leads into the eugenics conversation. Yes. But sort of they were seemed to be like deemed to be kind of uneducated and diseased and you know, willing to work for next to nothing. And they were sort of like the unwanted people that they thought should need to be kind of cast out. Sort of the the other components of the progressive era is uh, what's known as like Keynesian economics, which is essentially demand side economics that argues for greater intervention, government intervention into the marketplace. They also in that era established the Federal Reserve System. Uh, and yeah. then the this I learned during my prep for this episode, the 16th, 17th, 18th and 19th amendments were all ushered in during that official progressive era. Um, and those are the income tax. Mm-hmm. God damn it. Yep. Uh, the direct election of senators. Prohibition. Another big mistake. Right. And then women's voting rights. Which I tend to think was a good idea. Yeah. yeah. So those are sort of the the high points, and maybe not even the high points, but this, the high and low points of of that progressive era. And I want to dive into eugenics because I think oh, well, that's I was a gonna, really I was say, Are we piece. just gonna like skip over that? No, or? we're not. I have so many notes on eugenics. <laughs> okay, good, good. No, I, have I was a like, ton. wow, that's like a huge thing that up- no. is upsetting and people don't talk about. <laughs> Big one. No, no, no. I think that's really important, and I think, and it's you know incredibly frustrating as i was digging through the internet preparing for this episode a lot of sources go to like painstaking stanking painstaking <laughs> lengths <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to uh avoid the eugenics topic like big time yeah so yeah i would love for us to talk about that tonight great so yeah let's just dive into eugenics i guess um so the theory sort of first emerged out of england um and it was a rejection of the idea of social darwinism right which which, again this is a huge thing mm -hmm. social darwinism which was huge in that era yeah was not a tenet of progressivism nope not at all rejected so that that is important yeah for sure so and social darwinism is is kind of simplified as the idea of survival of the fittest right and the progressive thought I think they objectively recognize like that is true, 
like that is an outcome. Right. I don't think they rejected it because they thought it was like an unfounded theory. I think they recognize that like you do see that play out in the real world. But in their thinking, we have the knowledge and the technology and the tools right. to sort of cull the herd. Yes. And this is where, as I mentioned earlier, the education part came in. Yes. Mm-hmm. Where it was like, no, education is the counter to social Darwinism. It's not an evolutionary social problem. It's an education problem. Yeah, it goes beyond just education, though. Well, right. And then capital S science. Yes. During that time. Which is like when people are like, well, it's the best available science. Yeah. It's like there have been a lot of things done in the name of the best available science yes. that are fucked. So that can't be your only guidepost. In be life. weary. Yeah. Yes. And this is this is one of the things, interpret this how you will. All of eugenics and the horrible, horrific things that were the cause of that were in the name of public health. That is correct. Yep. Totally. Exactly. Public health, <laughs> public health for the greater good. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Yep. Um, so it kind of it initially emerged out of England and it was initially thought of a as a Excuse me. It was initially thought of as a way to decrease infant mortality. So the way I've read about it it kind of maybe started in England with this like really reasonable benign approach and then like got imported to the United States and was like put on steroids and Mm -hmm. got pretty gross and then obviously got (laughs) then adopted in Germany and other places and taken to a whole other level. Um, But so it it sort of. started out as a way to decrease infant mortality and then when it made its way to the u.s it was kind of adopted by sort of the leading thinkers and elites of the time um and really penetrated the highest institutions in america and then there it turned into a means of perfecting society through breeding in 1928 there were 376 college courses that were dedicated to the subject of eugenics um, so this isn't some sort of um, obscure fad. This was very much prominent throughout the intelligentsia of the time. Mm-hmm. During that time, the popular economist Irving Fisher co-founded the American Eugenics Society, uh, which was accompanied by the American Race Betterment Society um, that was established in 1906. And then the American Breeders Magazine that began publication in 1910. All of those were pretty influential. It targeted... And now I'm quoting from a paper, so please don't take this as my language. It targeted degenerate, I'll say quote, degenerate Anglo-Saxon hill clans, immigrants from Southern and Eastern Europe and Asia, backward peoples in the territories of the new American empire, African-Americans, the feeble-minded, and the epileptic, which epileptic covered like everything, like Mm -hmm. literally like promiscuous women or like considered epileptic oh really like for real yeah Whoa, it was kind okay. of just used like if you were like a poor woman from west virginia that got raped and knocked up which is literally one of the cases that wound up in the supreme sure. court epileptic you were yes oh, yep okay. yeah so sort of the thinking behind it stemmed from uh this idea that there were quote unquote undesirable or unemployable people Mm -hmm. um, that were willing to work for lower wages. So at the same time that the progressives were looking at society and thinking like we can optimize this and we can like improve the working conditions of people. We can raise people. 
raise people's wages, um, educate their children, like end child labor, sort of create this optimal society. As they were working on that, there was like a, you know, sort of these ancillary people that were gumming up the works. And so the idea was, well, how do we stop those people from from multiplying? Mm-hmm. And how do we multiply the quote unquote good people that we want to flourish? Again, and remember, their logic is we want to see the betterment of society and having people like you just described, in quote. Yeah. Is a public health issue. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So exactly. Social so, engineering, like you said. Completely is yeah. what it was. Yeah. yeah. And they, and I think they were, un, they were totally unashamed by that. Like that wasn't like, they weren't pr- pretending they weren't social engineering. They were like saying, no, we are definitely social engineering and this oh, is yeah. how we move forward. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. So the idea was that there was sort of a superior stock of workers um, and that their wages were being forced down to due to labor competition and because their wages were being forced down they could afford fewer children while maintaining their standard of living so the inferior stock of people the fear was that they would outbreed the superior stock and ultimately drag down the overall quality of life of the the broader population because of this progressives at the time believed that um, and this is a quote, human heredity must be socially controlled rather than left to individual choice. They, cause, Red flags. Right. <laughs> Again, for the greater good. Yes. We're going to s- supplant individual choice for the betterment of su- society at large. So this is something interesting that we talked about in the communism episode. The idea of... Well, I guess we talk, We kind of touch upon the labor union issue. Right. Um, uh, but a good example of, of sort of these progressive policies, which are still with us today, the idea of the minimum wage. So today, economists or people like me or you will point out that like there are unintended consequences with the minimum wage. And that is that they, they sort of they push low skilled workers out of the workforce because the labor they have to offer isn't worth that higher, artificially higher wage. And companies can't afford to pay their workers this artificially high wage. Um, so they wind up laying people off, right? We would describe that as an unintended consequence. When you look into the history of when, pro- in the progressive era, when minimum wage laws were instituted, that was the absolute explicit intended con- like outcome of those laws. The idea was that they wanted to Again, push out, raise the standard of living of the superior stock mm-hmm. and push out of society and the workforce the inferior stock. Henry Roger Seeger of Columbia University, who was sort of a prominent progressive of the era, suggested that minimum wages were necessary to protect workers from the, quote, wearing competition of the casual worker and the drifter. So people who are working, willing to work for, for a lower wage. Mm-hmm. Some leading progressives who supported eugenics that I think are worth noting, economist John Maynard Keynes, economist Irving Fisher, who is sort of lesser known than Keynes today, but Mm -hmm. was very prominent at the time. Here's a big surprising one. Former national chairman of the ACLU, Mm. American Civil Liberties Union, Edward Owlsworth Ross, the founder of Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger, who we've talked about, and even W.E.B. Du Bois. 
who said, quote, only fit blacks should procreate to eradicate the race's heritage of moral iniquity. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Margaret Singer's explicitly founded, it wasn't originally called Planned Parenthood, um, but explicitly founded that to help like cull the herd in her mind. She talked about, she created like rules for anyone who wanted to have a family they called them the baby code, the American baby code. And some of the rules were um, no woman shall have the legal right to bear a child and no man shall have the right to become a father without a permit okay. was one of her ideas. All right. Um, no permit for parenthood should be valid for more than one birth. So she wanted it to be like incredibly regulated because individuals couldn't be trusted to make rational decisions and there were explicitly unwanted classes of people that they did not want procreating yeah so this is this is interesting Sanger is an interesting case because there are a lot of people that i know growing up that i don't think it would go too far to say nearly worshipped at her feet as like being this great woman in history and like they've kind of fell into the like the progressivism science world mm-hmm. and they're like no singer's like one of the best scientists and like her contributions to society have been you know ever long lasting and yeah, yeah it had bad roots but like the good that it's seen throughout history is is like you know worth the the turmoil and i'm not exaggerating here i i truly believe that's the position that these people hold and i never bought it and as i got older and i learned more about it I even further evermore cannot buy it. Well, I think, I think a lot of people who support these things today just aren't even aware of like yeah. the history of it and like the really dark roots of it. Yeah. Or you see the weird spin pieces, even in recent years where it's like, they're trying to be like, well, no singer's not as bad as people think. Oh, for sure. And what's, and again, what's interesting is in like the chaos of 2020, uh-huh one benefit it undid that because there were just in researching this i found older articles where it totally was like people trying to like kind of whitewash it and justify it and you know massage it and kind of talk around it and then articles past 2020 are like it's time for us to talk about the truth of margaret singer you know so like the tone has shifted and the approach right. has shifted, which is good. But it's sad when you think about, so she explicitly set out to eventually, I mean, the goal literally was eventually to have what were deemed as like epileptics, invalids, Italians, yeah, mostly black min- people, minority groups. Hispanics, yeah. white people from Appalachia, you know, like poor people, like to have them stop procreating so they are literally like they don't breed and eventually they all die off. Like that literally was the thinking. Right. 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 The invention of birth and, control tied into that massively. Right. Well, and, and, and abortion, all, obviously. And abortion clinics and, yeah. you know, pushes for sterilization. Right. Well, <laughs> and so that is where it's sad when you look at the numbers of who gets abortions today. Yep. And it is those demographics. And it is the poorest among us. It tep- it typically is minorities. 
I think the last statistic I saw, and I don't have these numbers in front of me, but the last statistic I read about this was in the African-American community, African-American women abort more children per year than are born is my is right. what I remember. And, and this, if I'm wrong, I apologize. Yeah. But but it's something pretty dramatic. It is. Like that. It is very massive. And yeah, again, as we've mentioned before, like uh, with unions, things like that, and minimum wages, it's operating as it was intended. Yeah. And and we have this, frankly, I think a delusion that, that it's doing good. Yeah. And we talk about institutional racism and things like that. This is institutionally functioning as institutional racism. Yeah, but it's has a D in front of it, so people don't question it. it maybe, or I don't or know. some sort of illusion of liberty, or it's marketed or things like differently. That. And like, if you want to, and I, we will eventually. Like, I am open to having a actually intelligent conversation about abortion. Yeah, but like, I am so I'm not opposed to it. Know if my mind can be changed on like the history of it, or like that it's a good thing at all. Like whether it should be allowed or not, I'll have the conversation, but like sure, the roots, the institutional racism inside of it. Like I am just so convinced that it is a bad. Well, that's actually a really interesting, maybe prompt like, okay, so this is, this is a thing. This is an institution that is deeply ingrained in American society today. Government funded. Right. And it has explicitly racist roots violently racist roots the goal to exterminate a race yep over time but it serves a valuable purpose today for women who for whatever reason don't want to you know give birth to their child is that an example of something that's institutional racism that has somehow evolved and changed societally that's now acceptable that's kind of an interesting question. Mm-hmm. So anyway, this isn't necessarily, I I would love to have that conversation yeah, at some point. Yeah. And I'm not like opposed to birth control or necessarily even abortion, to be honest. I think that's like, it's, that's a comp, it's complicated. There's a lot there to unpack. Sure. But there's no denying how these things evolved in the United States and trying to like ignore it or, or, or change the narrative around it, I think doesn't serve a valuable purpose so those were some of the kind of leading progressives of the time um that was like a very small sampling but what eugenics looks like in practical terms was primarily sterilization in in the united states and sadly my home state of california is one of the states that had the most aggressive and prolific sterilization laws um up until the civil rights movement Mm. Up until the 60s, they were like sterilizing people on the regular. Pretty gross. Um, So they had what were known as um, the Asexualization Acts in the 1910s and 1920s, which led to the sterilization of 20,000 primarily black and Mexican people, women, obviously. Um, I guess they sterilized men too, but it's primarily women who were deemed mentally ill. And again, you could be a woman who was quote unquote promiscuous or like was sexually assaulted and wound up being pregnant and you were deemed, that was deemed as a mental illness. If you were someone who like had sex out of wedlock, that was um, a defect, a personality defect, a mental illness that had to be addressed. 
So California was the third state in the United States to enact a sterilization law. By 1921, California had accounted for 80% of sterilizations nationwide. Uh, Let's see. Yeah, I mentioned that there were over 20,000 forced sterilizations in California throughout this time. Something really dark that came up during my research on this. Um, Hitler and the Nazis apparently looked at California's laws and were inspired by them. Mm. And Hitler wrote, quote, there is today one state in which at least weak beginnings toward a better conception of citizenship are noticeable. Of course, it is not our model German Republic, but the United States, end quote. And he was looking at California's asexualization laws. Um, And obviously the Germans wound up taking this too. Beyond sterilization to just like straight up extermination of people. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And again, the fact that this went on into like the 60s, that's not very old history. It's not. And you know, this whole- <laughs> not, None of this, this is. This capital S science, public health, progressivism ideology is why you saw things like in the 30s, research being done on minority groups. Uh, what's the big one? The Tuskegee research. To Tuskegee. To, yeah. Where they infected like close to a thousand- african-american males with syphilis and just let them die horrible deaths right just to see what and this would happen. was this was the united states public health service right yep doing research and then that's i mean you even see later on after the war like war criminals nazi war criminals and japanese war criminals being just not convicted and actually converted and and hired to be scientists for the United States. Well, a lot of them are really well educated. Yeah, right? totally. You yeah. have they you want know, their knowledge. all of these science, you know, capital S science that was conducted by Nazi Germany was just taken and used by the United States. All of the capital S science that was conducted by the Japanese in things like Unit 731, which if you aren't familiar with that, holy moly, anything the Nazis did is is... Nothing compared to what the Japanese did for science research in Mm. in Unit 731. And people don't know about it. And like horrific research being done and just the knowledge was extracted and it was like, well, this is a horrible thing. But like, was it just like testing on valuable? Yeah. Horrible human, human human live dissections. Oh, my God. um, Freezing people alive, starving people, anything that you can imagine. And American soldiers were part of the research. And Chinese, mostly Chinese, were part of the... Well, yeah. Jesus right? Christ. In which we mentioned this last week. It yeah, was They pilfered the Chinese. Right, exactly. Um, horrible. And there were other units that were doing this research, but 731 is the most horrific. Yeah, and it was just like, kind of turn a blind eye and like, well, this is valuable capitalist science. It's useful for public health and... You capital know. S science. I just yeah. want to make that clear. Yeah, yeah. It almost sounded like you said capitalist. No, science. no, 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 no. Capital S. Clear. Capital S science. The yeah. progressive worship of science. Right. The Godhead science. Which at the time this was totally in vogue. It yeah. made sense. Mm-hmm. There, you know, the elites were like, "Look, how are we going to pay for all of these impoverished people? They're not educated, and there was." you know, racist thinking at the time that they couldn't be educated into being, you know, people literally thought they were like mentally, physically, in, morally inferior inherently. So their perspective was these people are like going to be a drain on society and mm-hmm. there is no fixing that. Yeah. So how do we get rid of them? 
Well, and this is, again, going way back, guys. This is why I've been wrestling with that idea of the enlightenment and science and research and the horrible side of it mm-hmm. and the arguments that I was, not even arguments, but like the, the I had a little, not a breakdown, but like a, a, a time, a few episodes where I was like really wrestling with some topics. And it was this idea that like, like racism and some of these things that we see as these massive issues in history, like are, are very recent problems, at least the depths that they've displayed themselves like because of science and like diving into it and man's like attempt to label people and misusing this and, and you know, but don't you think man has always been tribalistic? True. And it's one thing to be tribalistic. I think that's part of it. But like when you start applying these things, this, this numbers game, this, these metrics, like it gives you, it gives you an excuse or a justification. Yeah, a greater sense of superiority. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It validates maybe that right, thinking because exactly. you have like a p- proof, right? Right. In you your quote mind. Proof. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I'm not anti science. No, of course you're not. You're like studied. What did you study? Biology, physics, mathematics. Oh my God. Yeah. When you yeah, talk yeah. about math, it's like my brain gets jumbled. But, <laughs> right. um, but yeah, there's a real, you know, lesson to be learned and being wary of capital S science because things that made complete sense at one period of time and it was the best available science at the time and you know every major institution Mm -hmm. supported it was eventually proven not only false but proven to be like grotesque and inhumane oh yeah so I think it's just important to keep that kind of broader historical and like world perspective. Um, yeah, and and try to be grounded with the the history of 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 the people that that did these things and how you perceive them and and careful who you who you worship and who you adore. Like, oof, yeah, I mean, like the difference between Sanger and a Ku Klux Klan member is not very far. Right. No, they literally had the same goal. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, that's what's terrifying. So, I just, I encourage people, like, keep, keep that in mind. Yeah. Like, for sure. Um. So, I'll just wrap up what I was going to say about California and, and kind of the mm. sterilization movement across the U.S. But so, California accounted for 20,000 sterilizations. And the best number I could find was that throughout the 20th century, nearly 70,000 people overwhelmingly working class women of color mm-hmm. were sterilized in over 30 states um and again this didn't end until the mid 20th century um california eventually instituted sort of like a system for reparations um i don't have a lot of information on how that worked out but it's largely been something that's been glossed over yeah. and i'm going to make kind of a cynical take on that but i think it's something that um the democrat party has wanted to and i say the democrat party because as we mentioned progressivism eventually at once sort of spanned the political spectrum and then eventually kind of settled into the democrat party and was very much owned by the democrat party and um still is today of course um but i think the reality is that the democrat party has some pretty dark roots Mm -hmm. from like being the party of slavery to Jim Crow um, to, you know, the progressive era of eugenics. Yeah, yeah. And so a lot of this history has just been like 
totally glossed over. I didn't learn about anything with eugenics going to school. Literally. I mean, I I learned a little bit about Sanger just because, like, I was homeschooled and it was kind of a more conservative, like, Christian curriculum. So, like, it was at least addressed. Like, yeah, like, eugenics was really bad. Like, morally reprehensible. And then, you know, and then it went into the whole... I Planned did, Parenthood thing and, and all of that. Right. Um, well, I did. Uh, lacked maybe a little nuance there, but yeah. at least I was exposed to it somewhat. I did Catholic schooling from kindergarten through mm-hmm. high school, but in a very progressive part of California in the Bay Area. Progressive um, Catholics. Progressive Catholics that were basically just like, it was just like pretty radical left wing political ideology yeah. without like i literally never opened a bible i didn't learn anything commies, about god commies investments uh i did have Bad one joke. teacher who <laughs> <laughs> i had one teacher who was a like self-proclaimed communist she was insane she like hated winston churchill and i was like what the fuck but anyways she um but yeah but we literally i mean we just we just would gloss over these things that were inconvenient you know mm-hmm. um and i remember when we talked about the civil war there was like one moment where i uh, still remember this where a teacher was like and then the party switched yeah what i i've heard that i don't think that's really a valid argument i've heard that argument over and over again like and then the pity the party swapped and i've tried to like i've looked at it and i was like i don't the parties evolved yeah but they didn't switch like flip not every single person that was like an evil racist became a republican all of a sudden yeah that's not how that worked yeah no um, I think Democrat leadership was like, this isn't going to garner votes anymore. anymore. If yeah. we're extending votes to <laughs> this number, this percentage of the population, we better figure out how to get them to vote for us. And that's when like A Lyndon Johnson talked about how like if we state. give them the yeah. welfare state, yep. we will quote unquote, keep them on the pl- plantation for another 200 years is what he said. Another thing people ignore. Yeah. That was in 1960, whatever that yeah. was. Yeah, yeah. Not that long ago. Um, so it wasn't the party switching. It was them rebranding. Beca- exactly. <laughs> rebranding and figuring out how to like stay politically viable. But anyway, um, so that's the really dark history. And then I think if we want to kind of m- move into sort of the current state of the progressive party. We're going to take a quick break. Then we'll be back to our conversation. If you like what you're hearing, help spread the word by leaving a five-star rating and one or two sentence review on your favorite streaming platform. Thank you to Reagan James for the use of our theme music, The Habit, off her album, Message. Find her work on Spotify and Apple Music. Thanks to the Highline Media Network for having us as a founding podcast. Here's a quick preview of a recent episode from our sister show, Author's Intent. Hello, my name is Dixie Lee, and I am the host of Author's Intent. I go through books and movies and talk about the similarities and differences between them. I just finished up my beginning series where I went through the first book in the Hunger Games, Narnia, and Harry Potter series. If you're hearing this, it means you are just in time to jump into a new series called Disney Classics. We are starting with The Beauty and the Beast. Join me on Fridays to talk about the author's intent. And now, back to our conversation. 
obviously the overtly like racist overtones have changed right um but the idea that you can orchestrate society and manipulate a desired outcome through government intervention is still very much at the core of right, progressive definitely thinking. Definitely a cornerstone of progressive thinking. Yeah. And now it's progressive democratic thinking. Um, right. It's exclusively to one party right. now. Yeah, for right. sure. However, you do then also have this switch of like the progressive and maybe it's more humanist of like the Stephen Pinkers who it's like this other, which I don't even think we should really get into, but there is this whole other side of progressivism, which is just like the humanist side point of view hmm. to it to its extreme. I don't like, know a lot about that. Just like, oh, humans are great and like we're seeing great progress and like science is the key to that. And it seems to be well monitored. Like it doesn't. There's not like Steven Pinker is just like, yeah, capitalism's like lifted everyone out of poverty and like by 2040 like there's not going to be any you know adverse poverty like you know yeah they're looking but again it's like i don't know where that arose so i I think maybe we just kind of ignore that but Hmm. it's still kind of this progressive like it's taking some of the elements of traditional progressivism education um technological advancement the ability of society yeah, and knowledge yeah, to improve. Yeah. Or excuse me, the of science and knowledge to improve society. I think and this is just off the cuff, but I think that like the Steven Pinker types are progressives who have maybe tried to like distance themselves from the politics mm-hmm. of it. Because I know he's someone who's kind of interesting to people on the right because he's willing to kind of step out of, like, the party line. But he's still very much, like, on the left and, you know, sort of rooted in progressive thinking. Right, exactly. But he's not willing to just, like, toe the party line and, like, totally be beholden to the politics of the party. So maybe that's where it diverges. Um, yeah, but um, I have just like a long list of things that define like, like the, modern the progressive progressive party. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, I think it's worth noting that like politically in terms of power, they are definitely the dominant faction of mm-hmm. the Democrat Party today, um, at least in terms of sort of messaging and political power and reach. I think that... The Democrat Party has sort of indulged the progressive wing potentially to their detriment. They know how to trend on social media and Mm -hmm. how to get sound bites on MSNBC or CBS or whatever it is. Um, And so they're very much amplified. I don't think that the progressive wing is representative of the broader Democrat party as a whole in terms of actual like voters and constituents, but in terms of media, they're dominant and the Democrat party has indulged them and used them. Honestly. I mean, they've used them to gain power, right? Like Bernie Sanders has been burned twice. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And the reality is like totally, absolutely betrayed. And then he comes yeah back his hands held out like please let me in (laughs) and and i mean and i mean the reality is right now like he's writing biden's agenda 
Oh, yeah. He is. Yeah. Um, it's not fucking going anywhere because no one actually wants that agenda. And nobody voted for that agenda, but he's writing it. And he, so he does have influence. Um, and I think that was what he traded uh, to step aside. But um, again, um, but I think the Democrat Party has created quite a conundrum for themselves because, frankly, I think they're going to be eaten alive by the progressives. And mm-hmm. the progressives are totally unwilling to compromise, which there's some aspect of that that i admire um and i mean they are convicted and they believe in what they believe and they're not gonna compromise on that and that's admirable i think what they believe is silly but (laughs) but anyways (laughs) yep but um yeah so that's kind of an interesting just in terms of politics that's an interesting thing to watch and see how that unfolds over the next few years uh because the demo because biden his administration even though he was won the nomination because he was supposed to be the moderate middle of the road guy who was not Bernie Sanders has let literally like this isn't just like hyperbole like literally like Bernie Sanders has like helped like write much of the agenda like build back better legislation is like very much written by Bernie Sanders um and that wing of the party and uh so it's interesting that like Biden was voted in to be moderate, but then as a concession to the people who voted for him to get in, he's like been willing to compromise and go farther left. But the reality is most of the country doesn't actually want that. And the people who represent them, the senators and the representatives who represent them are not willing to like vote that way. Well, and then you also see like, the progressives or the progressive party of the, of the Democrats tend to be young. Right. Right. Younger. And Other we, than Bernie. And, right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bernie's a weird anomaly. Uh, but then at the same time, we also see like with polling and, and just data collection in general that like those same progressive people are actually not voting that much. <laughs> right. And the populist. No, of course not. <laughs> That's why so there's the get out the deal. vote like things yeah. to make it trendy. So like Britney Spears will t- like remind you on your iPhone to like vote because otherwise like not you're Britney on Spears, TikTok like and not every, paying attention. Every, every. Oh, I know. Prominent figure. Everybody, I know. I don't know why I said Britney Spears. She's like old news, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it's yeah for sure. But that is why those tactics right. are necessary because most young people are not paying attention to these things. So anyways, that's just kind of an interesting dynamic. And I feel like right. they've like let the beast into their house. And now it's like, oh, fuck, what do we do with this? Because they're his has 30. Biden has a 33 percent approval rating. And Kamala Harris is like 28 percent or something that's, horrible. Guys, that's so bad. It's really bad. <laughs> and they're just like, like what? OK, what do we do? What was like Bush's at his worst? I think he got like. Did he get into- below 40? Mm, I think so. Okay. I think he got below 40. OK. For sure. But I don't know if anyone's been quite... Below 30? Biden yeah. is definitely, like, scratching the bottom of the barrel. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Okay, now we're just getting into gossip, but you mentioned a hilarious <laughs> thing about Biden running in 2024. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Please share. Oh, yeah. There's... Uh, so everyone's speculating, right, about, like, what are the Democrats going to do in 2024? Because the reality is, again... Biden was voted in to be moderate and to be this unifier mm-hmm. and return to normalcy. And he's not right. And for whatever fucking reason, him and his political advisors, he's not in charge of anything, in my opinion. He's just not like, let's all stop <laughs> pretending like Joe Biden thinks Joe Biden doesn't think anything. Yeah, true. It's his 
camp around him. It's Dr. Jill and her yeah. doctorate in <laughs> PE or whatever the fuck it is. Anyways, um, uh. they, um, they, for whatever reason, have just like given in to the progressive wing. And that's what's so, it's like, why? why? What is it? What is it right. there? What are they, frankly, what do they have over you that is like making you go against every single polling metric, every single, any political advisor would be like, yo, like Bill Clinton did. You're going to lose. You're going to get your ass kicked in the midterms and you're potentially going to lose the next presidential election. Like shift to the middle. Right. Obama did that, too. Like shift to the middle. Biden's not doing that. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's early on. Maybe he will. That'll probably be an interesting exercise (laughs) if he tries to. But but he's not doing that. And so everyone's just like, what the fuck? Why is he digging in so hard? So something's going on there and the progressives somehow have like power over him. But now the gossip is. Biden is going to run in 24 because he keeps saying that everyone's like, he's going to be dead by then, (laughs) (laughs) which God bless him. Hopefully he's not. Hopefully he's just like retired living off of his like corrupt, you know, Ukrainian funds or something. Go go golf with Trump or something. (laughs) I know you guys are enemies. You probably are friends, right? They're probably (laughs) both making money together. Those assholes. But anyways, he, um, but now the, now the theory is like Kamala Harris is so terrible that Biden's going to run in 24, but have a new VP instead of it. It would be just gold. It would be pure gold. Like the way they would try to message that would be hilarious. I hope they try to navigate it because it'd be great. Um, Her career would be dead and buried at that point if it isn't already. If that happens, I guarantee (laughs) it's going to be like another Jussie Smollett thing. Where like they try to fake some <laughs> some reason why Kamala can't be vice president. Oh, that's true. They probably will. Well, the problem is, so here's the thing. Because there have been all of these exposés, like, look, maybe some people, all right, I'm just going to be cynical. I think a lot of people are naive and they're like, don't recognize the strategy behind these things. But like, the Democrat machine is really fucking powerful. and they're already setting the stage for what their next move is going to be. And that's why they're good at what they do. Mm -hmm. And like from a communications perspective, which is the world I work in, like, you know, I admire them for that. Like they're good at this. They recognize that she's unpopular and they're allowing leaks to be shared in the press and published about how horrible she is. There have been multiple stories over the last few months from like, in the Washington Post, for example, about how horrible she is from like staffers who don't want to be identified, but former Kamala Harris staffers who talk about how like <laughs> who talk about how like she refuses to read briefing notes before interviews. And then when her interviews bomb, she like comes back and like screams at her staff. Oh because my she's God. like they didn't prepare her well. And it's like you have, you know, so who, I mean, who knows what's really true? Yeah, what's real anymore? Who knows? I mean, her last interview where she was like, we have to do the thing that we're supposed to do every day and we're doing it today and it's going to do something. <laughs> I get the sense she's probably not paying attention to her briefing. Right. Notes. But anyways. Oh, Lord. That's just the gossip on what's happening. Yeah, but um, right. anyways, we'll get back to the serious Yeah, stuff. we need a, we need our own maybe patreon like gossip corner oh my god that'd be great i mean gossip's a sin (laughs) (laughs) we'll talk shop yeah 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 yeah. um 
anyway, so yes, the progressive party has certainly like evolved over time. Um, they're not trying to actively exterminate people from well, actually, maybe they are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> people from Appalachia, but not um brown and black people. Um, yeah. so. <laughs> that's a soundbite that'll come back and haunt me one day. Someone's going to tweet that at oh, me. I thought at you were going to talk about homeless people in San Francisco, but that's my view. No, so. that's your view. We should get to that. I want to get to that, yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, I don't know. Here, I'm just going to like read off a list of things that yeah, they yeah. stand for today. An expansive welf- welfare state. Okay, so do uh, the Nazis. Right. Actually, yes. Uh, hashtag tax the rich, right? Nazis. It's on the wealthy. Um, a wealth tax, which is separate and is dramatic because that's just like very different than an yeah. income tax, which we talked about and we can talk about further some other time. Sort of, I wrote down sort of LGBTQ plus, I think is the current acronym, uh, rights, which then when I was thinking about that, I was like, well, I don't know. I don't know if it's just like right. I guess as a libertarian, it's like I'm for rights for everybody, but. I don't know. Somehow they like owned that in a way that's mm-hmm. different than other parties. Um, sort of the Black Lives Matter platform, uh, which if you look into that has Marxist roots and is sort of about like literally dismantling like the nuclear family and right. There's the li- there's and- the there's like these weird in group rights, and then there's like the libertarian like generic multi purpose. I do not want to be associated with any group. Right, right, right. Which right. is me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I so don't want, right. like, I will not say that I'm a part of any group. Right. But, like, rights. Yep. But rights are good for everybody. Very good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. See, that's why, yeah, I get and conflicted because it's, it's like, yeah, yeah. it is totally branding. De facto open border policies because that's what's happening at the southern border. Right. Um, Sort of amnesty for all, Um, kind of a, I mean, <laughs> They literally, they are in the process of passing legislation in New York City to allow non-citizens to vote mm-hmm. in elections. That's an example of a progressive policy. Um, Wait, what's the what's the quote? Like you don't have to, you don't have to convince your voter base. You just have to choose them. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> Something like that. I don't know. I don't remember who said that, but like that's a good one. Or if you can't convince them, just choose them. Yeah, totally. Which is cynical, I know, but well. Uh, yeah um cynicism's totally underrated (laughs) personally i think so yeah redistribution of wealth in the form of higher taxes and more generous transfer payments which we've kind of touched upon already government funded jobs which is like gag creating jobs by just you know taxing people and spending their money um on inefficient means uh cutting military spending universal health care uh, in whatever form that means, I guess Medicare for all, even though it's going to be insolvent, um, quote unquote, climate justice has never really sort of my grandfather used to say that um, this is going to be offensive. So I apologize um, <laughs> that Democrats talk in cliches. It's kind of true, mm-hmm. um, especially on sort of the far left progressive wing, like climate justice. What the, f- <laughs> what the fuck does that mean? Right. In practical terms. What does that mean? Does that mean the climate conservation Climate is Corps? amoral. <laughs> like, just frankly. It's true. It is. It does not like make it, mal- and, and, moral and, judgments. And like, this is a joke, but also I, I don't I don't say this lightly. Like, when it, you can say that there's, you know, 
things that are making thing you know weather worse or whatever but like when climate causes a tsunami and it kills a hundred thousand people like it's indiscriminate we can it's amoral like it's yeah it's awful and we and we can judge it as being a, a an awful thing but like it's not a morally wrong thing that a storm killed people right yeah exactly yep totally and it doesn't pick and choose people. It itself no. isn't making like some right. sort of value judgment. Right. It's just so yeah, yeah. That is very like climate justice. Like justice. It's what does it mean? Right. Like, are you gonna put climate in the dock and drill them in front of a court? Like, <laughs> that's funny. I've never thought about that. <laughs> right. Exactly. I guess in their mind, it means like redistributing wealth so that like poor communities that have homes on a floodplain are subsidized. But in practical terms, it like won't mean like changing the infrastructure, like building levees. It'll just mean like paying people more per month or something. Right. It won't make a difference in terms of what the climate. Anyway, um, ESG is another, I think, good sort of cliche that's associated with progressives, um, which is the environmental, social and governance model, which is applied to uh businesses in the name of being uh, in the name of climate justice here's maybe a more tangible example and the idea is basically that businesses will take into consideration sort of the environmental and societal impacts of their decisions beyond just the bottom line Mm -hmm. which i think practically speaking manifests as like greenwashing as an example um where companies find a way to be like, we're, you know, not emitting carbon anymore because we've like paid for this forest. And then like, oh, that forest like burned down in California <laughs> and emitted a ton of carbon. And it doesn't right. make sense. But, yeah, anyway, but that part doesn't count. right? It doesn't count. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I have equity, diversity and, and inclusion, which is another sort of ill-defined amorphous thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, on that list, like most of those, I can, you know. Did, hold on. Did I just say diversion? I might have said diversion instead of diversity. Sorry. I actually I don't know what you that. said, but yeah. Equity, diversity, and inclusion. Diversity, not yeah, diversion. Yeah, yeah. I, don't know. Yeah. I knew what you meant. You yeah. Know, it's just, again, it's kind of like, yeah, these are the progressive talking points. You've heard and, it a million times. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, going back just a few minutes when we were talking about Biden kind of giving an inch to the progressives, it is interesting to actually see now kind of where the progressives have t- taken that. You know, again, it's kind of the trope and people are like, that's not true. The slippery slope or the give an inch, take a mile kind of deal. But the arguments now, like, if, you know, when you follow Bernie on Twitter and you're seeing his arguments, it's like, well, people, you know, we had bipartisan agreement or like concession on this. And now they're not budging like on this other bill that's similar or whatever. And it really is like, oh, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other thing that's kind of interesting, too, just thinking about how progressivism has evolved in the United States over the last century, the left of today, well, I should say, there is a populist movement on both the right and the left, Mm -hmm. and the populism on the left isn't there yet, but it definitely, it feels like inevitably it leads to, it does, it leads to favoring, like, People of a particular group. Right. Which obviously sort of harkens back to the roots of progressivism, that there's somehow like this optimal society that we have to like cultivate. And like, yeah, that can manifest through like trade practices or trying to have like quote unquote American made jobs or, you know, 
taxing the rich to redistribute the wealth like it can start with potentially like noble sounding ends um and and result in something that's quite brutal yeah redistribution of the wealth all i can say to that is it's been like 80 years they've been trying to redistribute the wealth (laughs) right and they haven't done a particularly how's the war on poverty going (laughs) yeah they haven't done a particularly good job on doing it right can only just beg and plead you to realize that it's not the amount of money they have that's the problem Right. Well, you know, the reality is like the policies that are used to redistribute wealth wind up just stifling economic growth. And so it winds up not like if fully enacted, it doesn't actually. As uh, Margaret Thatcher said, eventually you run out of other people's money. And like that (laughs) is funny, but it's like also very true. Like if you if your policies stifle economic growth the pie you're divvying up shrinks and like the best thing you can do in my opinion is empower individuals to flourish on their own which expands the pie doesn't doesn't limit it and take from it and i think something that i'm actually like a piece i'm potentially going to try to write um is sort of on how progressivism in many ways is kind of uh having like at its heyday right now like it's it's the popular dominant narrative. It is amplified on all of our social media and right. traditional media channels. It is like, it's popular, right? Um, and in a lot of the policies that progressives advocate for have actually been enacted and they're failing like all around us. Two major examples I can point to are criminal justice reform mm-hmm. and um, sort of the like MMT, modern monetary theory thinking. In terms of criminal, criminal justice reform, there is like crime has skyrocketed across major cities in America. In San Francisco, for example, Mayor London Breed cut the police budget in san francisco by 120 million i want to say which seems small compared to like the billions and trillions we talk about all the time i think it was 120 million um and crime's totally fucking rampant it's a nightmare you know my buddy shout out alicia i love you (laughs) she listens all the time i miss her um she referred to the city as like a mad max scene And I just am grateful all the time. I don't live there anymore. Um, But like all the smash and grab viral videos and things like a lot of that's emanating out of San Francisco Um, and London breed a couple weeks ago held a press conference and she like lost kind of lost her cool in this press conference, which was actually quite refreshing. Um, And she talked about how like she referred to the crime as bullshit, like on camera, like, use those words and talked about how like they are going to get more aggressive with the police were like her words right which you know which i think you mentioned that before and i was like ooh, bad pr stunt like, right? right yeah right because in 2020 she was talking about how like the police are a problem right. and we need to defund them and then she did defund them and then crime sky- right. skyrocketed and now she's talking about like 
more, where the fuck are the police? Yeah, and it's or like, more well, aggressive bitch, policy. You and fucking it's like, cut them out. What? Maybe maybe we start small, not more aggressive, just like bare minimums. Yeah, or that exactly. <laughs> let's just let's just enforce the bare minimums. Why don't you like raise the felony for, uh, um, theft from what is it like? It's basically just under a thousand. It's like nine ninety five or something right now. Is a misdemeanor, and then yeah. above that is a felony. Well, lower it again to where it was before, because people are just you know. Every day, steal thousand dollars worth of stuff. Ton of stuff, and Nothing. we're not just talking about like Gucci shoes. And people are like, "Well, who gives a shit? They're like big, and they can afford the loss." Right, like right. eventually, one, the those losses add up. Okay, mm-hmm. two, it's not just those kinds of stores. It's primarily like drug stores, and I have seen countless videos of people going in and literally clearing off prescription shelves. Yeah, what are those guys doing with all those drugs? And a lot They're of these selling them. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of these stores are also in areas that are like food islands yeah and totally so, that's so, a big or problem food deserts i mean and so you've got stores that are closing down but it yep. was like the only main source where anyone in an underprivileged community could even get anything anything and then you also have police just letting go people like with the drug epidemic like just letting people go that are dealing fentanyl yeah and fentanyl's killed like a hundred thousand people last year i know i know well, so we should get into kind of your theory oh, yeah, on this because cons- it's really interesting. My, yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's a conspiracy, yeah, man. I, don't I think know. it's pretty good observation. I don't know anything really about the politics of San Francisco, but there are a lot of people that I follow that are ex-drug users. They have recovered drug abusers in San Francisco that lived it, that had a friend that died on the street, that are working tirelessly to figure out how to deal with this problem like the homelessness the the mess i mean like it's not a popular thing to talk about it like that but like yes there are lives at stake with drug abuse and things like that but there's also horrible side effects to the people that aren't directly being affected by the drugs like the way the city is being trashed like oh my everything. god there's huge environmental consequences yeah, of yeah, pollution everything that right people You've ignore got, yeah i mean tens of thousands of people and maybe i don't even know what the number Fifty thousand defecating and and spilling like drug like think about the pollution to like the local right. water source yeah I know, yeah it's public bad. health issue right you've totally needles and human waste and yeah crazy stuff going on yeah and and these people that are are entrenched in it that are trying to uh, hold political leaders accountable and like they're not getting answers and the policies that are being implemented seem to just be creating a worse drug environment. And like, I have this weird thought that these people with like a progressive mindset are like, it's so bad that like the most humane thing we can do is to implement policy that ultimately results in the death of drug users. Like we don't know how to solve the problem. So maybe we just get rid of the problem. Which, if you go back to the original founding of the Progressive Party, like, that was kind of the approach. Yeah. Call the herd. And I don't want to go so far as to say that that is what people are actively thinking right now. I think there's a ton of, like, political activists that absolutely would be, like, you know disgusted by that idea but right and i want to be fair but too, if you think a, lo- of- a lot of these people that are like self-proclaimed progressives are very much like not okay with what's going on so so maybe my framing is not quite right 
but like something weird's happening. If you look at the practical application of their policies, they are leading to like death and despair and dysfunction. Right. And like, and it's like, so when do you realize that these aren't working and what is the motivation in the face of very clear evidence that this doesn't work? What is the motivation to keep going? Right. And like, here's, here's two examples. First example is like giving sterilized tinfoil to people so they can, in quote, safely like yeah needles, ingest, yeah needles, but not Condoms. worse than that. Yeah, specific specifically for like fentanyl. Oh, okay, yeah. Like, trust me, Hep C is like the smallest worry that these people have. <laughs> yeah, right, and or like worse, like the at least the reports I'm seeing is like we know that the fentanyl is coming from China. We know who is bringing it in and where it's coming in exactly, like via shipment and docks. Yeah. And nothing is being done about it. Right. Right. Or worse, they're targeting people that are consuming it. Well, that is actually how. So I was listening to a very interesting report on the John Batcher show about this. And and the um, uh, Jeff Bliss is the reporter who does his segment called Pacific Watch that John Bachelor hosts and um on CBS. But he uh well, CBS hosts his radio show. Anyway, they were talking about how these drug dealers um who are primarily from the dealers themselves are primarily from Central America. Mm-hmm. The drugs are from China. Yep. Um and the but the dealers are very much aware of the rules and regulations in the state. And so they are never really holding, but they prey upon the homeless population who are largely drug addicts and they have them hold. So basically those people are the ones most liable and they actually are like doing, conducting the transaction. Um, obviously the money goes back to the dealer and then, you know, whoever else they answer to. Um, but it's a pretty sophisticated system that mm-hmm. they have. And they know how to, like, work around uh, the rules of the state. And, I mean, largely, they're kind of operating with total impunity. And, again, you have to ask, like, what is humane about that? Like, you're letting people destroy themselves and you're letting people be blatantly exploited in the name of what? Which, there, then there's an irony. In the name of what? Individual autonomy? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, that same party doesn't want you to make like health decisions for yourself. If you're like a functioning member of society, but if you're not, you're allowed to what? Make all sorts of health decisions that are totally like detrimental to not only yourself, but the people around you. Yeah. It's insane. Is this right? I'm on the CDC right now with... Drug overdose mortality by state. California is at 6,198 deaths per 100,000 population. Doesn't sound wrong. I don't know. I haven't looked into that. The highest anywhere. I would imagine it's the highest in the country. It's a pretty fucking gnarly situation. So we're talking per 100,000 people, 6,198 people are dying of drug overdose. That's more than COVID. It is. It is. Like six times what COVID is? Is that right? Am I thinking about that right? That's like 6% 
mortality. Don't ask me to do math off the top of my head. I don't want to. I don't want to misstate that, but like that. I'm interested in that. I would. My I'm going to go being, out on a limb and say more people are probably dying of yeah. fentanyl overdoses than they are from COVID. Not with COVID, but from COVID sure. in California. My point being, it's a huge deal. And it's a huge deal that's been going on for a long time. Yeah. That no one seems to even acknowledge. Yeah. Like this, granted, this year we did get the whole like, oh my God, all these people are dying of opioids. Like, this seems like a problem. But like diving into it, it's like we're con- we're consumed with the COVID thing right now. But like, holy moly, there the- are other massive things going on that are just like completely ignored. It's wild. Well, and the opioid thing got attention for like five seconds and then everybody just like. Right. Moved on. And then I think they and then <laughs> if I remember correctly, it was like the opioid thing happened and they're like, oh, we're going to get strict on it. And then it was like, doctors were like, oh, I can't prescribe opioids to people that actually need it. <laughs> You're like, oh, great. Perfect. Yeah. It's, you know, and, and I think, again, kind of like broader themes between sort of the different variations of progressivism. It's this idea that like there's a group of people who have more knowledge than others who know better and who can orchestrate society in an optimal way and we have to trust them. And I think, and obviously there are lots of examples of where that has failed throughout history, right? And produced really, really grotesque, ugly results like the eugenics movement. Um, But then there might also be examples where like that's worked, right? And like there were people who knew better and they were right. And People were better off because of their decisions. Is that a, is that in terms of like long-term big picture, are we willing to turn over and surrender like our rights inch by inch because they might, this group might be right eventually? Like, I I just don't think it's worth it. Right. And I think that there's a lot more, um, I think over time, too, like that is how uh, human understanding and ingenuity evolves is when there's diversity of thought and opinion. And again, it's cliche, but like, you know, here's a conservative cliche, like the marketplace of ideas, like when when there's an opportunity to like throw out an idea that maybe like sucks and fails, but at least it challenges like the prevailing one, right? Like there's benefit and value to that. And there's, and when you don't have that opportunity, there's a whole host of like realities that are forfeited. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And- so this reminds me of a very, very funny, always sunny in Philadelphia. Scene. <laughs> I love that show. Right. So, yeah. but I want to start with, well, let's start with the, with the goofy one. There's a scene. I think it's, I can't remember what it is. One of the characters like becomes a pastor or something and they're making fun of him because they're like all atheists. Mac, I bet. Yeah, it is Mac actually. <laughs> yeah, it's Mac. That's and he's funny. like becomes like really devout <laughs> yeah. and they're they're talking to him and they're like, science has disproven uh, the existence of God and he gives like a presentation. Oh God. Which is a total joke, but like it's funny because he like convinces everyone, but it makes sense, right? Because he's like going through like key figures in history and he's talking about like 
Galileo and Newton. And he's like, and you know what? He was the smartest man in the time and they gave him control. And he was right about one thing, but he was wrong about this. And you know what that makes? That made Isaac Newton a bitch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that. He's a bitch. I'm gonna, yeah. There's an always sunny um, <laughs> uh, page on Instagram. We actually have to share that clip. Because that's should. where I saw it. <laughs> we should. Hilarious. Okay. I'll but look it up. <laughs> point being, like with the marketplace of ideas, like <laughs> don't put so much trust into one person. Like, no. Don't just shut out and try to... Uh, eliminate the end quote grifters or the right. people that are countercultural or and at one point in, in time they might have been you know I guess they're still Appalachian Mountain folk but um, at one point in time they might have also been you know black and brown people and maybe today they're like you know Trump supporters but regardless like singling out a group and ostracizing them is a red flag and it's right. a problem because there is value there. And even if you hate Trump supporters and I don't necessarily align with them or the characteristic of them either, but like there is some value there, right? Yeah. And and shutting people out of public discourse is a problem. It and I don't and it doesn't serve society at large. Yeah, in the context of progressivism, like for the sake of Right. For the, the sake of or for yeah. the sake of public health or for the sake of in capital S science, like right. just be weary and careful of that. Right. And again, this I, I said it last week and I probably am gonna end up saying it every single week. Like there are all these ideologies that we are going to review, most of which I think the majority of people are opposed to, like Maybe not communism, but like the authoritarianism, the fascism, the Nazism, like it's communism is authoritarian. Right. But and like, honestly, progressivism too, just like to a lesser in nature it has overt to be. degree. Yeah, it is. To control people you have to be right, yeah. authoritarian, right? Yeah. But like again, I mentioned this last week, like you put the the positive tenets of these ideologies in a list, ignoring the negative ones, and and you would not if I put a list of these things up. And I was like, which one do you think a Nazi believes in? Granted, leaving out the negative ones, you would not be, I'm not let's, joking, you would not be able to tell the list apart. Let's do some, uh, maybe we'll do some social media polling with these things. Yes. That could be interesting. Yes. Yeah. And so, like, be careful. Be open to many things and also guard yourself from many things. Yeah, I think just, like, we shouldn't be so tribal. Yeah. Right. You know, because the reality is like progressivism has a very, very ugly, dark past. And there might be tenets of it today that you totally agree with. And like, cool. Agree with those things. If you think like wealth redistribution is a good idea, I, I can make an econor- economic argument that but it's, it's not. not yeah. But that's okay. That's yeah. not sinister. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops, I just proved myself wrong. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, I broader point. Don't be so tribal that you're unwilling to like acknowledge the ugly history of the things that you believe in and also recognize that like there isn't some optimal point in time where like all of a sudden people went from being like malevolent to benevolent. You know, right, like exactly there are things today that could seem reasonable to you because they are on your quote unquote side. 
um, and therefore they are right, but they could easily be rooted in something that is really ugly and you just don't see it yet because it's in vogue now, but it won't be in vogue in a century. Right. Which seems to be on both sides. For sure. The on issue, both sides. like, oh, yes. your roots are dark. Yeah. Throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. There's another right. mistake. Don't. Yeah, exactly. yeah, exactly. We shouldn't do that either. Yes. Look at it. See what works. See what doesn't work. Like. Yeah, ideally we culturally evolve over time, yeah, right? Acknowledge and, the negatives. Yeah. See if it is worth saving, you know, all of these things. Yep. We're constantly evolving, so. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ideally. Although it does seem like a lot of things are just recycled from the 20th century. It's like, I want, do you ever wonder, like, in 1912, were people like, Jesus Christ, they're still talking about that? They talked about that in 1815. Well, no, I, still- I think it's part, it's part of the human condition. Again, yeah. it's like another cliche quote is like, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. Right. Is that a Solomon quote or something? Or I don't Ecclesiastes know. or something, like the wisdom. There's nothing new under the sun. And it's so true. Yeah. And, like, this is one of the Beatle things that, like, really... I think, like, tears down all of the stupid, you know, inequality and the racism. It's like, people are people, and people have been people forever. And, like, there are beautiful cultural differences among different groups, but, like, like they're, they're so human. Like, people act the same, and and that's what history is, is, like, this repeating cycle. Right. Of, like, you might not even know that what you're thinking is, you know, some historical thing from 700 years ago. But, like, people are wired a certain way. Right. And I think that that proves itself. Yeah, for sure. So on that note, I mean, I don't know. (laughs) I think we covered it. I think we did. That was a lot. We did get a little goofy at the end, so maybe, maybe apologize for that, but, like, also maybe Eh. not. You know, look, we're not, we'll, we're never going to pretend to be unbiased. Like we have, no. yeah, I don't think we ever have. I don't think we should be. But you know, I'm going to make silly. fun of communists. I'm going to make fun of Nazis. I'm going to make fun of progressives. I, I am like. I'm a classical liberal. I'm, I'm going to make I, fun yeah, of it all. And I'm like a libertarian <laughs> anarchist thing. And they get, ma- you know, they get made fun of all the time. So. Oh my God. Hey, roast me at Twitter. <laughs> hey, when we get to anarchy, we'll, we, it won't be a glowing review. We'll, we'll point out all kinds of interesting oh, caveats. Oh, it might be a glowing review for me. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it will be. Yeah, God oh, yeah, damn yeah. It. oh, no. Oh, no. Okay. All right. Lean into your audience. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I don't even have to keep a diary. Like, this podcast is just. That's true. <laughs> it's just like a history. It's, it's everything going on in my mind. That's Guys, great. Whiskey Pinch is my diary. I love that. I, I think it is. Because like I've it. said a lot, like listening back, I've said a lot of stuff where I'm like, huh, <laughs> this is useful. I'm glad it's documented. True. I know. So You know what I've thought about, which is like maybe silly, but this is like, you know, something we could share with like our spawn one day. Yeah, it's true. You know, <laughs> I'd be like, yeah. here's the my biased perspective on something yeah yeah no be like hey to my daughter like here's you're old enough now to listen to the whiskey bitch yeah Yeah. (laughs) i also don't think we're being like i mean hey tweet at us or dm us if you feel differently but i don't think we're being blatantly biased 
I'm not leaving out history. I mean, I think women's suffrage is great. Thank you, progressives, for that. Sure. Eugenics sucked, and you own it. So, like, there's just uncomfortable truths that have to be acknowledged. So, I don't think we're being totally unbiased. I think we're presenting the history pretty fairly. Oh, yeah, But we obviously have kind of, like, a judgment on all of it, which is our own perspective. Right, and who doesn't? I mean, really. Of course. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's progressivism. That is progressivism in a nutshell, you know, an hour or whatever. So, again, these topics are going to keep coming up. That's why we're that's why we're doing this. That's why we're reviewing it. Um, Hopefully we can reference back. I hope you guys are enjoying this content. We'll be back in our next long format episode talking about fascism. Yes. Which is going to be super exciting. There's just a ton of history and obviously. A massive part of like most history education involves fascism in it, right? Um, during the Great Wars and things like that, um, right? So that's going to be a great episode to talk about. More so, news and brews between now and then. Yes, good stuff. And follow us on our social media accounts at Whiskey Bench Pod, Twitter and Instagram is where we're really active. Yep. Like us, subscribe, leave a review. A review would be great. Leave yes. us a review. <laughs> yes, reviews are amazing. And message us if you have questions or, you know, if you agree, if you disagree. Topic if, ideas. Topic ideas. We just, I just had a buddy message me uh, a question about some, you know, current events and some things, some, some hot topics. Mm, yeah. You know, around the conversation right now. And... I'm, I don't know about you. I'm just going to speak for you. I'm willing to talk about some difficult conversations that maybe other people are uncomfortable bringing up with friends. Yeah. And, and uh, just nothing's off limits, I don't think. So, yeah, totally. So, if you Chal- have if, challenge us on Twitter, yeah, fight me, do it. Yeah. <laughs> Put up your dukes. <laughs> no, but really, like anything is, I think we welcome and, um, yeah it's intellectually stimulating it is i love it Mm -hmm. keeps me keeps my juices flowing my cerebral juices flowing right (laughs) oh so on that note i hope you guys all have a beautiful week and we'll see you next time cheers cheers Dixie Lee Henning, and this is Author's Intent. You know how you have friends, and sometimes those friends are like, hey, have you seen this movie? And then you're like, well, I I think the book's better. And then you guys get into an argument, and then you stop being friends because of their totally wrong opinions. Well, I liked that feeling so much that I decided to make a podcast about it. So I put in the work, I read the books, I watch the movies, and I tell you the differences between the two, and... You know, you can still be friends with that with that friend who thinks that the Hobbit movies are good. They're not. They're not good. 
but you can stay friends. I'm essentially a mediator in the friend space, you know? I'm here so that you can stay friends with those people, despite their horrible opinions about books and movies. So, you're welcome. Highline Media Network. Artist-owned podcasts by normal people in normal places.